Welcome to Labor Law Radio. I'm your host, Michael Tracy, attorney at law, and we've got another hour of employment and labor-related issues coming up here today. Uh, This week, we're going to get back into a little bit about the uh, Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, the Labor Board. The reason is, is last week I got a number of calls from distraught uh, potential clients or employers or different things, uh, complaining about the Labor Board. Interestingly, got uh, two calls from employees who had taken their claim to the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement and received very uh, negative result there. They were very unhappy with the decision of the Labor Board. And I also got a call from an employer who also felt he was uh, treated unfairly at the Labor Board. So we're going to talk about the Labor Board. We had talked about that uh, a couple months ago back in... uh, episode four of this uh, first season. So if you go back to the website, we do have the audio archive. You can pull that up and that'll talk more about the procedures at the Labor Board and some of the things that uh, I don't like about the Labor Board. But it does talk about how they function. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, that a little bit more today. The next subject I've covered briefly in other episodes as well, and that is the computer programmers and their exemptions. It's becoming a bigger and bigger cause of action, more and more lawsuits are being filed uh, for this thing, and there's still a lot of people that are affected by it or that is not properly classified in the uh, computer programmer field. So some administrative notes first. Uh, I will be uh, presenting, uh, giving a live presentation at the uh, employers groups seminar, which are coming up a bit odd to see a plaintiff's attorney at an employer's group presentation, but they did ask me to present to speak about what plaintiff's attorneys look for in cases against employers. That is, what makes a good case uh, so that presumably the employers, you know, these are HR managers generally that attend these things, what would make a good case against their company so that they can proactively uh, prevent that from happening. So in any case, uh, if you are an employer listening to this and wanted to uh, attend one of these, they are coming up uh, November 8th in Universal City, November 13th in Anaheim, November 29th in Cerritos. There was uh, one in uh, San Francisco as well as San Diego. Uh, I have an arbitration the day that the uh, San Francisco one was there. I will not be presenting at that one. It will be another plaintiff's attorney and San Diego. Uh, I had something else that day, so I couldn't I couldn't make that. So there, for Universal City, Anaheim, and Cerritos, I will be at those. You can go to... Uh, www.employersgroup.com if you uh, if you want to sign up for that but it's generally it is not a uh, not for employees not for a general public thing it's generally for employers and as I've mentioned before I do uh, represent employers in a couple uh, cases usually it's a, a smaller employer who is being sort of abused by the system or something like that we, we do see that and we'll talk about this when we get into the labor board claims uh, I also for some Specific industries, I represent employers in those uh, industries. But most of the work that I do is representative of the employee in the plaintiff side of litigation. That is the person who has had something done wrong to them and they are seeking a redress under the law. Last time we had talked about various legal options that you had to pursue to pursue your claims for uh, unpaid wages or overtime or uh, different types of uh, grievances that you had. And we talked about uh, class actions, private attorney general actions, uh, individual causes of actions, uh, having your case uh, referred to arbitration. Today I want to go over a little bit more about the labor board 
It's, it's commonly called the labor board. It's a technical term is Division of Labor Standards Enforcement. You may hear me refer to it as the DLSC. It's the same thing. It's the Labor Board, Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, DLSC. It's all the same thing. What they do is they are an administrative agency that holds hearings in order to decide whether an employee was aggrieved under the labor code. So if you felt you weren't paid your final paycheck, you file a uh, DLSC Form 1 that says, I worked for employee-er X. I worked there from May to June, and they underpaid me wages by $500, and I want my $500 plus waiting time penalties and, and all sorts of other things. The labor board then schedules an initial conference. A conference is just where sort of a, a meet and greet where both sides sit down with a labor commissioner and sort of discuss informally what their claims are. Sometimes they can resolve it at that point. They say, well, we realize that we didn't pay you that check and we're going to pay you the money now. Uh, that may resolve it. You may want to try to get your waiting time penalties for a claim like that. But if it, it does not resolve at the conference and no matter how overwhelming the evidence is in, in, in your favor, the commissioner cannot make a decision at that conference. No evidence can be presented formally you may informally lay out the documents that you have and discuss them with the other side, but it is just an informal negotiation uh, meeting, and it will, if it successfully resolves that the case is over, if not, the only option that the uh, labor commissioner has is to schedule an actual hearing. At the hearing, you can subpoena witnesses, subpoena evidence, and basically it's run as a mini-trial. You are under oath and you have to testify for why you're owed these wages and you're allowed to ask the employer questions. The big problem with these is that very it's very, very difficult to get evidence into these hearings that uh, you can subpoena them, but the defendant generally ignores your subpoena and the labor commissioner is very reluctant. It's very difficult to enforce these subpoenas because the only time that they're required to produce the documents or produce the people is the day of the hearing itself. So if they said, well, we couldn't find those records or we didn't know what you were talking about, uh, these records don't exist, you don't really have any redress for that. The labor commissioner say, well, they say they don't exist and they can't find them. What do you want me to do? Drive over to their office and, and search it? He can't do that. So a big problem with the labor board is presenting evidence there. But that wasn't what had all these people call me up in the last week complaining about the labor board. And like I said, it was both sides, employees and employers, complaining about the labor board to me. And interestingly enough, I know it was just three people in one week, but when I get three phone calls in one week, all complaining about the labor board, uh, something's wrong. Normally I get, you know, one a week, maybe one every two weeks. Frequently people send me an email irate with the decision they just got at the labor board. There's very little I can do for you at that point. Yes, you do have a right to appeal, but frequently, your chances on a there are some problems with appeals. The big problem is is that if you lose an appeal from the labor board, you are going to have to pay the employer's attorney's fees, and those can be catastrophic. They can be tens of thousands of dollars, and to lose that appeal over you know a small amount of money, two thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, or something like that, it puts a lot of strain on the employee who's undertaking this appeal. It's very very difficult. So don't call me up after you've lost your, your labor board claim. Call me up before, and that gives us a lot more leverage. So why did these people go to the labor board? Why do so many people go to the labor board? And the answer is that both sides feel that the labor board 
is dramatically in their favor. Employees feel that the labor board is handing out candy to employees. All the employee has to do is go to the labor board and they will believe anything that the employee says. The employer has the burden of proof. The employer was supposed to keep these records. The employer was supposed to do that and the labor board is going to stick it to them. Wrong. That is not going to happen. I've I have seen the labor board do similar things, but it also goes the other way. So employees feel that the labor board is extremely friendly to them. It is not. Employers feel that the labor board is extremely friendly to them. Hey, they don't have to hire an attorney. They don't have to pay your attorney's fees if they lose. They get an informal hearing, try to feel out the labor commissioner, sort of see which way he's going. They can bring in their attorney if they want. Their attorney usually has a lot of interaction with the labor commissioner. Chances are it's not the first time he's had a case with that particular officer. Unlike, uh, you know, let's say in Santa Ana, where, uh, you know, Orange County, there's a labor commissioner office there. Very, very slow. I don't really like that particular office, but I'm using it as an example because I know the numbers. In the Orange County court system, right next door to the labor commissioner's office, one building, uh, I guess it's north of the uh, labor commissioner's office, is the uh, superior court. And there's dozens of judges there. And you file a case in Superior Court, and maybe if it's a smaller case, it probably won't go to the central justice system. It'll probably go to one of the uh, the ancillary, what used to be municipal courts. Now California does not have municipal courts anymore, but uh, one of the ancillary Superior Courts, not the central justice center. So if it's a five thousand dollar claim or ten thousand dollar claim, probably going to go to one of the uh, the other Superior Courts. If it goes to the central justice center. There's still dozens of Superior Court judges that work in that building. You file your case, it randomly gets assigned to one, and then that's it. And if that judge is too busy, he can reassign it to somebody else. Or if if it come trial, he's too busy, it can get reassigned. So, you know, over time, you become familiar with all these judges and, and how they rule. But to get all those judges in an employment case would be very, very rare. But at the... Uh, labor commissioner's office that is just across the uh, the quad from the superior court there's only two or three labor commissioners depending on their workload the last time i had a case there there was two but one had quit and so it was just down to one and then they they, they hired another one and so i guess they're back up to two maybe three at the current time so if you practice as an attorney before that labor board which is a fairly you know large labor board the other one's uh, you know, Van Nuys, San Francisco, Sacramento, all are similarly staffed. It's not like they have some giant uh, labor commissioner office out there that has dozens of, of labor commissioners. I think downtown Los Angeles is, is a fairly large one, but uh, nowhere near the size of the Superior Court. So these uh, defense attorneys have a lot of experience dealing with these particular labor commissioners. In fact, when I've taken over cases from people who have cases pending with the labor board. They they filed their case with the labor board. Then they realize they're in trouble. So they call me up and say, Michael, please help me. This uh, The defendants hired an attorney. I feel I should hire an attorney. Every single time I call up the opposing counsel, the defendant's attorney, they always say, oh, we love this labor, this, this uh, labor commissioner down here. I've had three cases with her and I've won every single one of them. Now, why they tell me that, I don't know because... Um, I'm just going to you know, file the thing in court, but I'm going to file the thing in court anyway. But that's that's a big reason. A lot of these employers know what buttons to 
push with the uh, with the labor commissioners, and they they can get a very favorable argument because they've practiced so many things in front of them, and they sort of have established a reputation. They know how to present the thing, and the labor commissioner is really trying to crank the numbers out. I mean, he's got a large, he or she has a large backload of cases pending. There's, you know, three or four, five, six cases every single day that this labor commissioner needs to hear, make a written decision on and adjudicate, as well as do the non-adjudicative stuff, you know, the hearings, the scheduling and things like that. So these labor commissioners are very, very busy and they don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on complex cases. So attorneys make things very, very simple for them. Normally, the employer is the one represented by an attorney, and the labor commissioner simply takes the words that that attorney comes out of that attorney's mouth, or they write in their brief. Very frequently, it's very easy for the labor commissioner to write their written brief because all they have to do is cut and paste from the stuff that the uh, labor com- that the uh, defense attorney gave them. So when you factor all those things together, obviously they're going to listen to their evidence, and then you know they're going to rule on your case. And certainly, employers have gone to the labor board and lost, uh, but. There are a lot of economic realities that you need to keep in mind, and that is a big reason why employers love the labor board. So employees love the labor board, employers love the labor board, but only before the hearing. After the hearing, they both hate it. So it seems odd that you have this love fest prior to the hearing, and then you have this hate fest after the hearing. And... I do want to distinguish between some undisputable claims and legitimate disputes that would require an attorney. If you worked for employer and they didn't give you your last paycheck, they said, forget it, you quit, you're not entitled to anything, the labor board can be quite efficient at adjudicating that for you. Very easy claim, wages are due upon termination or within 72 hours of when you give notice of quitting. And if they don't pay those, they're going to owe you some penalties. Very, very clear-cut case. You don't need an attorney for that. The labor board will help you out just fine. I don't care if they have you know, Johnny Cochran defending the employer. They're going to lose that case, most likely. So you know, if you have a small thing, you know, you were working in, you know, as a, a day laborer. Somebody wasn't paying you. Uh, you know, there's documents of the hours that you worked. It's a very small case. You can go in there and, and take your overtime case there. For anything else that's, that's you know, anything over, we'll say, a $5,000 claim or anything that involves an exemption issue in terms of what your duties were to determine whether you're exempt or not, then you should not go to the labor board. And as we've discussed before, because in the simple cases where you're obviously non-exempt, you're a day laborer, you know, getting picked up at Home Depot by some employer, you're, you're obviously non-exempt, you shouldn't take that to the labor board anyway because federal law gives you double damages. So taking it to the labor board, the only thing the labor board can award you is what they should have paid you in the first place plus, plus some waiting time penalties. Uh, federal law can give you double damages, you know, the liquidated damages for that, and you'll still get California waiting time penalties because that's an entirely different uh, issue there. So if it's so simple that the overtime is undisputed and it's just a a slam dunk case, you shouldn't take it to the labor board because you're leaving half of your claim on the table. You're giving it, you know, a 50% discount on your claim. Alternatively, if the overtime is complex enough, you shouldn't take it to the labor board because 
the labor commissioner is probably not going to take the time to listen to your nuanced and reasoned argument and write an effective decision. Most likely, they're simply going to believe the defense attorney who's spouting out all this uh, you know, erudite knowledge of the labor code, recite that in their decision, and deny your claim. So any type of overtime claim, definitely take a look at my website, see if there's anything that, that can be done for you there. If it is just your unpaid wages, the check bounced from the employer, something like that, take that to the labor board. It's a great claim. They can help you adjudicate that quite uh, quickly and efficiently. But uh, for anything else, uh, you want to you want to think about it. The other thing with the labor board is that labor commissioners hate to be lectured to. They do not like you explaining the law to them. Now, why is it okay for the defense attorney to explain the law for them to them, but not you? Well, because she's an attorney and you're not, and it's just human nature that this. Uh, person adjudicating the claim is going to be a little bit resentful for someone who's essentially has no special knowledge or nothing more than them. And, you know, they spend their life adjudicating these claims. They read the administrative law. They read the case law to some extent. They feel that they are fairly knowledgeable about labor and employment law. Some of them are extremely knowledgeable about labor and employment law. Others are not. But the vast majority of them hate to be told that they don't know the law or that they are wrong on the law. Now, a smart defense attorney will never tell them that they are wrong on the law. They will say, you know, perhaps that uh, this case is different from that because of these additional factors, or there has been a recent decision that has modified uh, the DLSE's position in such and such a case, or made the DLSE's position untenable anymore, or something like that. But in a, probably 50% of the cases that I've pulled from the labor board, that is, employees come to me after they've already filed at the labor board, there has been some back and forth between the employee and the labor commissioner. The employee has verbally fought with the, uh, with the labor commissioner. That is a bad situation. If you are at the labor board at your initial conference and you find yourself saying, this person doesn't get it, she is not listening to me, you should get out of there as soon as possible and get an attorney because that case is not going to go anywhere for you. You have to be very, very careful about that. You know, these uh, commissioners aren't judges. They don't quite have the judicial temperament that judicial officers have. Judges in court deal with obnoxious attorneys and lying witnesses and, and all of this stuff every single day. And I think they, they deal with it in a more professional, more judicial manner than some of the labor commissioners that are out there, the, the, the labor deputies, you know, the deputy hearing, the labor depu deputy hearing officers and the hearing officers. I'm sorry, deputy labor commissioners and hearing officers. Those are the official titles for them. So the labor commissioner is uh, Miss Bradstreet. She works up in uh, Sacramento and does not hear these particular cases. So when I say labor commissioner, I just mean the uh, deputy labor commissioner or hearing officer who is uh, stationed at one of these offices doing your claims. So that's the, that's the basics of uh, the labor board, what happens there, and, you know, why people get so upset with the decisions. And the reason they get so upset with the decision is that they don't feel that they were treated fairly. Now, obviously, when you lose, 
instinctively you're going to feel that it wasn't fair. But a lot of times, especially in court, the judge gives you a well-reasoned opinion. And while you may disagree with the final outcome, you can't argue too much with their reasoning. You can say, well, maybe I, I should have been right. The judge disagreed with me, but I understand what she's saying. She's saying that I was doing these duties, or she's saying that this evidence wasn't strong enough. Or if it's, there's two types of trials. There's bench trials, which are tried by a judge, in which the judge hears the evidence. And then there's jury trials, which are tried by a jury, and the jury decides the evidence. So generally, a judge in a trial, a jury trial, cannot decide the evidence. The judge cannot say, I didn't believe this witness, therefore I threw the evidence out. That is exclusively for the jury's determination. So when I'm talking about these in, in you know on this show, it's a little bit loose, but uh, you know, generally we're referring to the judge deciding the facts and hearing the thing on on her own without a jury. In which case the judge can say, I did not believe that witness, so I threw out all of his testimony. So in those cases, it's, you know, you can say, well, the judge should have believed this, but uh, she didn't. But when you read the decision, you end up saying, yes, I understand what was decided. I may disagree with it, but I understand why it happened. Uh, you get that in a good number of judicial decisions. Coming from the labor board and the reason why these people called me up irate is they said they didn't explain anything. They didn't listen to anything I said. They didn't understand anything I said. And their opinion didn't reflect anything I said. It was entirely one-sided. It didn't explain anything. It did little more than, say, defendant one, or in the case where the employer was upset, employee one. Didn't say really why. They just said, I employ, we found employee to be credible, and so we're awarding her $10,000, whatever it was. It was quite a bit of money. Uh, somewhere in that range for a, a very small claim. And the reason for that is these waiting time penalties. You get 30 days wages uh, if the employer willfully doesn't pay your wages. And a lot of the arguments at the labor board are about are for these waiting time penalties, whether these wages were willfully withheld or not. And I should probably cover that in a separate, uh, in a separate broadcast. I won't uh, get into it today because we've uh, talked about it quite a bit and I want to move on. But... Uh, the big reason why there's such demand to go to the labor board are these 30 days waiting time penalties. If they, you know, didn't pay you five minutes of your vacation time, employees run to the labor board and they try to get 30 days pay. And, you know, if it was willful, they, they are entitled to it, but it also creates this sort of, uh, you know, crack addiction to these 30 days waiting time penalties. And an employee wins it once and they feel that every time they leave an employer, they're going to run to the labor board and automatically get 30 days pay. That's simply not going to happen. And if you do run to the labor board and get awarded the 30 days pay, there is a very good chance that the employer is going to appeal it. And if it's something where, you know, I handled an appeal from the, uh, the labor board where the employee had basically been awarded 30 days pay, something like 10, 12, I think it was about $10,000 that he was awarded. And... He had only worked for this employer for a couple weeks, five weeks or something like that. So he was literally getting more from the waiting time penalties than he was while he worked for that company for that short period of time. And obviously we prevailed because we showed it wasn't willful, but 
my thinking was that the judge looks at it and says, you know, just ultimately at the start of the case, is this fair? Is this justice? That's what we're all here to do. And you can point out to technicalities of the law. Well, Your Honor, the 30 days is required by Labor Code Section 203 and willful is defined over here as this, that. You can make those arguments, and we do when we're on the employee's side. But the judge is going to look at it and say, what's fair in this case? What, what was the real wrong that happened here? And the facts of that case just, it just wasn't, you know, the employer hadn't done anything wrong. There was some mistake in his payroll and something got screwed up somewhere, but it was not a willful withholding of his pay. And you, you get that a lot. The labor commissioner will listen to that, completely ignore the employer's arguments and award the 30 days pay. And the employer simply appeals it. Then you have to go show up in court, do the whole thing all over again. And there's a good chance that the judge is going to overturn it if it's um, simply a 30-day waiting time penalty. Now, statistically, roughly 70% of labor commissioner decisions are upheld on this appeal when it goes back to, to court. But uh, there hasn't been any analysis of exactly what types of claims get overturned and which ones get upheld. But my experience is that the strictly waiting time penalties or waiting time penalties provide the large portion of the claim, those are going to get denied by the court just because just on their face, they don't really seem fair. So if you can't prove that it was willful in terms of proving the willfulness, the employee has the burden of proof to show that it was willful. And if you can't prove that, then uh, you're out of luck and the judge is going to deny it even though you won at the labor board. So that's all I want to say about uh, the Labor Board. What I want to move on to is the sort of the hottest topic for labor and employment issues in terms of unpaid overtime. Uh, we've been getting a, a little bit, you know, the last couple episodes, we talked, you know, sexual harassment, uh, discrimination. I do want to cover some of the other topics, uh, you know, medical leave, disability discrimination, uh, but I do spend a good amount of time on overtime cases because that's kind of the hot topic in labor and employment, that's primarily what my law office does in terms of volumes of cases. We have well over 100 cases for, for unpaid overtime and probably four or five or six for other employment types of cases. Those cases are usually much more complicated, much more involved than an unpaid overtime case. But, uh, you know, in terms of numbers, you know, wage and hour class actions are the largest, fastest growing type of lawsuit on the planet, and they can also provide the greatest benefit for a good number of people that are not aware that they're entitled to this money, and a huge group of people that are not aware that they are entitled to potentially a substantial amount of money are computer programmers and the like. So people working in the information technology field and computer programmers, uh, computer testers, uh, graphic artist in the uh, video game industry and a few other ancillary roles like that in the entertainment industry for you know, animators and, and graphic artists and things like that. So what I'm going to do is pick that up on the other side of the break and then get into some news items of current events that some of them relate to employment law, some of them don't, but uh, a lot of them uh, you know, tie into the topics that we're, uh, that we're discussing today. So stay tuned and I'll be back on the other side of the break. 